And thank you for being here today. Give yourselves a round of applause for being here. Thank you so much. So glad to have you with us all in worship today. Uh, As has been mentioned a couple times already this morning, we are starting a brand new, action-packed, super fun message series this morning that we are calling The Truth About Church. The Truth About Church. And in this message series, I'm going to attempt to explain to you what is going on in church behind closed doors, behind the seas, behind the curtain, what is really going on in church life, what's happening in church life. If you are newer to Hope Community Church, uh, something that you'll quickly learn about us is that we are a church that talks a lot about what it means to be a church. And we do this because we, the people who make up the church, we, the people who are Christians, we so easily lose sight of what it means to be the church. I mean, the busyness of life, and sometimes just in the busyness of trying to keep up with Christian culture, we can forget what it is that we are supposed to be about. We can forget the mission that we have been called to. We can so easily lose our focus, and so we need to talk a lot about what it means to be the church so we don't forget how to live out what it means to be the church. In this series, I just want to make sure you're aware as we get into it that um, my goal is not to uh, talk trash, talk trash on the church, on any local church. You know, there is a lot of uh, harsh criticism of the church going on. I guess some of that's fair. Um, But this is not about beating up the church. That's not what we're doing in this series. I want to do that because I love the local church. In fact, I believe the hope of this world is in the local church. In fact, I have dedicated a big old chunk of my life to the local church. So I believe in the local church. So we're not, we're not going to just like beat up on the local church in this series. That's not what this is about. This series is about us getting better. Let's be a local church. Let's get better as a local church. That's what this series is all about. Let's get better at being the church, right? So a little bit about me. A lot of you know this already. Uh, I grew up as a Christian person. Uh, in a Christian household, going to a Christian church. Uh, That's my background. And when I was uh, very young, like three to seven years old, uh, our family went to a specific church, and my parents became uh, close friends with the pastor and his wife. And so our two families would get together on a regular basis and have uh, barbecues out in our backyard. And as a kid, I can remember uh, those conversations that would take place between My dad and the pastor, of course, I'm a kid, so I don't quite understand what they're talking about. But at a certain point in the afternoon, the conversation would get a little bit serious. We'd be having that chat over a couple of burnt turkey dogs. Did you ever have a turkey dog? What's up with my parents didn't eat red meat? So they'd have a couple of burnt turkey dogs and maybe a six-pack of a selected beverage. And they'd have these real heart-level conversations. So many of those conversations were about what's going on in the church, the problems going on in the church, the complications of church life. And in those conversations, I would hear the phrase repeated, there's no such thing as the perfect church, right? There's no such thing as the perfect church. And as I continue to grow up in a Christian household, going to Christian churches, I would hear that phrase repeated. Hey, listen, there's no such thing as a perfect church. Maybe you've heard that phrase before, right? That phrase is often expressed when a group of Christians are gathering together, and maybe they're bringing up some kind of dissatisfaction they have with their church. Maybe there's a little grumbling going on, 
a little complaining going on, and then somebody in that group speaks up and says, yeah, but there's no such thing as the perfect church. Maybe you've heard that phrase, or maybe you've even said that phrase, and people are coming to you, and they're bringing you their problems with their local church, and you're saying, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but you have to keep in mind that there's no such thing as the perfect church. And whether this is your first time in a worship service or whether you've belonged to several churches before this one, I think we can all agree on the fact that there is no such thing as the perfect church. My question for us this morning is, why not? I mean, why not? Didn't Jesus tell his followers in Matthew 5.48, he said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so those of us who are Christians, those of us who are Jesus followers, and we gather together and we form a body, we form a church, why aren't we perfect? Why can't there be a perfect church? I realize the question's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, where do you begin, right? So many different ways that you could answer that question. You can come up with dozens, hundreds, probably thousands of answers to that question. Why can't we be perfect as a local church? Well, you know, human beings aren't perfect. And human beings make up the church, therefore, a church can't be perfect. Okay, well, that's one way to answer it. Well, you know, you get a group of Christians together, and some are new, and some are, are more advanced, some know the Bible, some don't. So you get them together, and it's tough to get everybody on the same page, therefore, you really can't be a perfect church. Or you could say, you know, you get a group of Christians together, and they're not all agreed about what it even means to be the church, therefore, you just, you can't, it can't be a perfect church. Now, I'll tell you a little secret. Well, it's not so much of a secret. But 10 years ago, when we set out to start Hope Community Church, our goal was to become, are you ready for this? Our goal was to become the ideal local church, if not perfect, at least the ideal local church. What do you think of that goal? Sound a bit ambitious? Sound a bit ridiculous? But that's the goal. That was the goal, and that still is the goal, because what do you want, right? Should we start out and say, you know what? We're going to become a church that's like pretty okay. Let's go. Follow my lead, and we're going to start an okay church. No. We're working toward that ideal. And yes, we have to wrestle with the fact that it's going to be tough to get to that point, and we might fall short of that goal. But that, friends, that's still the ideal for Hope Community Church. Let's live into the ideal of what it means to be a local church. If not perfect, let's shoot for the goal of ideal. Ideal is still our goal. The issue that we're going to discuss today, it may not seem like the number one culprit behind why our churches aren't perfect, behind why local churches fail, behind why we don't live into the ideal, but I can personally attest to the fact that the problem we're going to focus on today, this is a reason why so many local churches, churches right here in this community and around the world, have imploded, right? Right, Delco? Have you noticed this? How many church buildings are vacant right now in, in Delaware County? How many church buildings all around the world are vacant? The problem we're going to discuss th this morning is one of these big underlying reasons why so many churches fail. We're going to take a look at a piece of instruction that scripture, scripture gives us concerning how we are to live out what it means to be the church, how we are to conduct ourselves as the people of the church, and this command of God is so commonly disregarded by Christians. Disregarded 
by the people who make up the church. And if we just followed this one command of Scripture, our churches would improve drastically. This problem we're going to discuss today, this actually may be the underlying reason why you left your last church. So let's take a look at our Bible passage today. Hebrews chapter 13. There's some things we know about the book of Hebrews, there's some things we don't know. We don't know for sure who wrote the book. Could have been Paul, we can't rule Paul out. But it was certainly a leader in a local church, a leader in the greater Christian community. We do know that he was writing to a specific group of people, to the Hebrews. Hebrews, a.k.a. the Jews, a.k.a. the Israelites, all the same group of people, but specifically to the Hebrews who had received Christ as their Savior. And so a better way to think of this is that book is, this book is written to Christians, to Christian people. And so by the time this letter was written, the church, this movement called church, was about 30 years old, and the author is giving some Christians some encouragement, The author is giving some Christians a sense of the timeline and how the Old Covenant was so essential and how the Old Covenant led into the New Covenant. And he's giving the Christians who are reading this letter some very practical instructions for how to conduct themselves. Hebrews chapter 13. Let's jump to our favorite verse here, verse 17. It begins, have confidence in your leaders and, here's our favorite word, Submit to their authority. How about that? We can stop right there. Because that's the problem, friends. We don't like to submit. I mean, I I don't. (laughs) Maybe you're the exception to that, but does anybody like to submit? This is the problem. Churches all across Delaware County, all around the country, all around the world, the people are not submitting to the authority of the leadership. That's all there is to it. That's the problem. So let me talk to you, the people of Hope Community Church, specifically the members of Hope Community Church. If you're a visitor, if you're a guest, you're off the hook. But let me talk to the members. Take a look at that insert in your bulletin. What do you see? You see a list of all the leaders in this church. And so if you are a member of this church, and if you follow the teachings of Scripture, then you know what you need to do, friends. You need to submit the authority of the leaders in this church. And let's not mince words here, friends. Come on. Let's be completely candid. I mean, I'm the pastor, right? I am the leader of the leaders, right? I mean, the buck's got to stop somewhere, so I guess it stops with me. So you know what that means, members of Hope? It means that you need to submit yourselves to my authority. And if you don't, you are defying the Word of God. Let's close in prayer. You know, on second thought, on second thought, maybe we should expand on this a little bit, right? Okay? Okay. Because the problem that I'm discussing here, this is not a one-sided problem. And sometimes leaders in the church present this as a one-sided problem. Well, the problem is the followers aren't following. Yeah, well, that's one half of it. The other end of the problem is that leaders aren't leading. This is a two-sided problem, a a two-sided issue. Make no mistake. Yes, it is a challenge to submit but it is also a burden to lead. Let me say that again for our note takers. It's a challenge to submit, 
and it is a burden to lead. This past Tuesday, I met with the leaders of our church, and at the start of that meeting, I reminded them of this fact, that leadership in the local church, it is, it is a burden. It's the burden of discernment. You guys know that word discernment, figuring out the things of God, figuring out God's will. It's the burden of discerning God's will for this local church. It's practically speaking the burden of decision-making. What ministries do we need to start? What do we need to stop? What programs? How do we help people? How do we serve people? It's a lot of decisions that need to be made. And so we have that burden of discernment, that burden of decision-making, and the decisions that we make, in fact, impact this community. That's a burden, the burden of decision-making. It is the burden of enduring criticism, right? That's just how it goes when you're in your leadership position. You will have to endure a degree of criticism. But let me give you a little bonus sermon for today. No matter what you do in life, you will have to endure criticism. Don't spend your life trying to avoid being criticized. The only way to avoid criticism is don't say anything, don't do anything, don't be anything, right? In other words... It's pointless. Don't try to avoid the criticism. Nevertheless, those of us who are in a leadership position, we do endure a greater degree of criticism. Serving as a leader in the local church. Are you listening, leaders? Is the burden of gently correcting the people that we lead. What a burden that is. The burden of leadership in the local church, it's the burden of sitting down And having those difficult conversations with the people that we lead, the people that we love. And unfortunately, too many people who find themselves in leadership positions in the local church, they just don't want those burdens. I understand that. But if we're going to accept those leadership positions, we need to take all the burden that comes with it. It is a burden to lead, and it is a challenge to follow. By our nature, as a general rule, We don't want to submit ourselves to anyone's authority. But there is an exception to that rule. We don't want to submit unless that person in the leadership position has earned our trust. That's the exception there. We resist submitting to somebody else's leadership unless unless that person who is leading us has earned our confidence. Take a look at how Hebrews 13, 17 begins. It starts with have confidence or trust in your leaders and submit to their authority. And so leaders, it's our job to earn that trust, to earn that confidence and maintain that confidence, the confidence of the people that we lead. Uh, Let me shine a little light on how leaders are selected in the local church. That's part of what this series is about, is trying to illuminate some things you might not already know about church life. So um, I'll tell you this, uh, about, oh, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, I attended a, uh, a church plant conference. And so at the time, I was going to school and seminary. I was studying how to plant churches. That was my you know, background. That was my major. And so in addition to that, I was also attending church plant conferences And so you'd hear from a variety of speakers, and so I was at this one conference, and several different church plant organizations were there, all giving us some ideas, all giving us some background of of what we need to do to to successfully plant a church. And there was a session where they just had all of them sit up on a stage, and it was a Q&A session. 
So all of us potential church planners, we came in with our questions, just raised our hands. It was a very big auditorium. And the very first question, I think it was the very first question that was asked, was somebody in the room, a, a potential church planner raised his hand and said, how do we find leaders, right? Because you can go out there and you can start a church and you can be a church planner. You can be the founding pastor, but goodness gracious, you need other people. How do we find leaders? And one of the panelists spoke up and he said, well, just, just look out for the people who show up early on Sunday morning to set up chairs. Of course, all of us were, were seminary students. We're looking around. Is that it? What are you talking about? I mean, that, that answer wasn't satisfactory for us. Shouldn't we test them in the Bible? Shouldn't we have like a, some kind of a high standard for leadership? And yes, absolutely, we should. But that's where you start looking. So explain. It's the people who show up early. It's the people who stay late to clean up. It's the people who volunteer. Those people, among those people, you will find your leadership. In other words, one of the first things you're looking for in a potential church leader is participation. Are they there? Are they showing up? Are they meeting needs as they need to be met from that group of people? You will find your leaders beyond just participation. I'll tell you something else that I'm looking for is investment. I'm looking for investment. Is that church leader, is that potential church leader invested in our specific vision and our specific work as a local church? Now, week three of this series, we're going to talk more about that specific vision of our church, but I can tell you that's what I'm looking for. In a potential leader, are you invested? Are you showing up? Are you serving? Have you expressed your heart? Does your heart align with what we are about as a church? We're looking for participation. We're looking for investment. One of the other things I'm looking for, and by the way, this isn't an exhaustive list, but a question that I have to ask myself before inviting someone to lead is, do I trust this person? Do I trust this person. Is this person trustworthy? And as you know, building trust requires time and experience. And if you take a look at that list of leaders in this church, every single one of them, whether they realize it or not, they've all been through this process. I'm watching. I'm paying attention. Are they participating? Are they invested? Does their heart's desire align with our church's heart's desire? Can I trust this person? And then that invitation is extended. Selecting leaders in the local church is a difficult process, but what's much more difficult is asking a leader to step down. And unfortunately, over the past 10 years, that is something that I've had to do. There have been times where I have not really asked a leader to step down, but I've encouraged a leader to think about stepping down, not because they've, they've done anything wrong, just because that leader is going through something, right? going through grief, going through loss, going through depression. And all of us leaders, we need times where we can not be a leader, instead just be a receiver of the ministry. In fact, not this past summer, but the summer before, I was off for eight weeks. I was on sabbatical because I needed a season where I could not leave, but instead receive. And so over the past 10 years, I've met with certain leaders and said, do you need a break from leading? Is it time for you to sit there and just receive from the church as opposed to leading the people of the church. So that's one of the reasons why I've encouraged people to step down. And sometimes people accept that word of encouragement, and sometimes they say, no, I think I, I, think I can hang in there. There are other times where I've had to ask people, and by the way, ask is just polite for insist upon, right? I've had to ask people to step down from leadership because of some unrepented sin issue. Are you familiar with that terminology, unrepented sin? Since we're talking about fun stuff this morning, let's talk about sin, right? So God in the Bible, he gives us his boundaries, right? 
He gives us his boundaries to live within, and they're all for our own sake. It's for our own good. God says, thou shalt not cross those boundaries. Thou shalt not engage in certain behaviors. And if you cross those boundaries that God has set, well, that's considered sin, right? Now, when it comes to leaders in this church, I don't expect anybody to be sinless. That's a crazy expectation. That's not fair. That's not reasonable. It's one thing to have God's boundaries and to know God's boundaries and to, oh, I slipped outside of God's boundaries. I've sinned. I've done something wrong. Let me hop back in where I belong, right? And we're all guilty of that. But to knowingly and willfully step outside of God's boundaries and just camp out there, I'm not turning back. I'm not repenting. I'm just going to live with this sin. That's called unrepentant sin. And when a leader in the church is engaging in some kind of unrepented sin, then I have to, as the pastor, have that difficult conversation and say, it's time you step down for a season. You're not kicked out of the church. You're allowed in worship. I don't do that. You're allowed and encouraged to be in small group, but I can't have you lead if you're going to be engaged in unrepented sin. Isn't that fair? Isn't that fair? I mean, there have been other occasions where I've asked leaders to step down. There was no unrepented sin. There was no real, like, struggle going on in their lives. But I've asked leaders to step down simply on account of a lack of participation. That's it. Sometimes there's a leader, and, and all of a sudden they're not showing up for worship, and we don't see them in small group, and we don't see them at our volunteer opportunities. And I have to say, hey, you're just not around. You're not showing up. And if you're not showing up, guess what? You really can't lead, Right? You, know, you can't be a coach or a team captain if you're not showing up to the practices, if you're missing most of the games. And so I've had to ask people to step down because you're just not participating in the life of our church. And you might be thinking, well, Josh, that sounds awfully harsh. And maybe it is, all right? Maybe it is harsh. But here's the thing. I can't have somebody in leadership in this local church if my trust in their leadership has been compromised. Because how can I expect you, the people of the church, to submit to the authority if your leaders if you don't have confidence in them. And if I don't have confidence in them, well, how can I expect you to have confidence in them? You see how this works? And so, yes, finding leaders in the church is difficult, but asking leaders to step down is, is much more difficult. This whole dynamic expressed in the beginning of, of Hebrews 13, 7, this, 17, this whole dynamic, the leadership people dynamic, it all hinges on trust. It all hinges on trust. You know, when trust is compromised, we won't have a reason to trust our leaders. But where there is trust, there is a willingness to submit. I'm not saying it's easy, but where there is trust, there is at least a willingness to submit. Let me talk again to the members of Hope. Do you have confidence in your leaders? Take a look at that list there in your bulletin. Take a look at all those names. Do you have confidence in the leaders of this, your church? And you might be thinking, I don't know some of these people. Well, if you're new, you're not expected to have confidence in us because you don't know us yet, right? It'd be weird to trust somebody that you don't even know. But if you've been around, if you've had time and experience, my question for you is, do you, do you have, not just me, not just the pastor, but do you have confidence in our leaders, members of hope? Do you? And if not, you need to ask yourself, well, why, why not? Why don't I trust leaders of this church? Take some time and think about that because maybe a leader in this church has done something to compromise your trust of them. Or maybe, maybe your lack of trust is, is unwarranted. 
Maybe if you stop and think about it, and you look at these names, like, you know what, I really, I think I should trust these people, but for some reason, why, why am I struggling? Let me give you an example of the kind of thing I'm talking about. Uh, once upon a time, way back in the book of Exodus, we meet a guy named Moses. Heard of Moses? All right. So this guy, Moses, God works through him in a powerful way. God calls Moses to go back to Egypt and free all of the Hebrews, all of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And so he does just that through a series of just unbelievable miracles. And so finally the Pharaoh says, okay, Israelites, you can all go free, and they go free, and Moses is leading the charge, and they get to this body of water, they get to the Red Sea, and they're like, okay, what are we going to do? By the way, Moses, look behind you, because Pharaoh's coming back with his army, it looks like he changed his mind, he's coming back to get us, what are we going to do? And Moses parts the Red Sea. You've seen this, right, in the movies? Good old Chuck Heston? We used to watch that every Easter time. Good old Chuck, parting the Red Sea, right? And they walk through on dry ground. Wow! What an amazing validation of this man's leadership and that God is with him. And they make it to the other side and they get to the other side. And then Moses is like, listen, I've got an appointment with God up on this mountaintop. He talks to his brothers. He says, Can I just keep, keep it on the people? I'll be right back. And so he goes up to the mountaintop. And while he's gone, the people approach his brother Aaron and they say, hey, um, we don't know what happened to this Moses fellow. <clears throat> so... Um, if you could just make us like an idol to worship, Aaron, that'd be great. We'll bring you some gold, make a little cow. We'll all worship the cow. How about that? And so this is a perfect example of a man earning the confidence, earning the trust of the people, and yet they had this unwarranted lack of trust. We don't know. Where, I think it's the NIV says, where's this fellow? That term fellow was funny. Where's this guy? What's he up to? We don't know if he's coming back. And so they didn't trust him, but the fault was not on Moses. The fault was, was on them. They had every reason. They had every reason to a confidence in Moses. And so if you find yourself and you look at this list and you're a member of Hope and you've been around for a while, you're like, I don't know if I trust this person. Ask yourself, well, why not? Why not? Let me talk through how, <clears throat> how not to submit. All right, because there's some myths about what submission looks like, specifically in the, the church dynamic. How do you submit to your local leaders? I want to clarify at least one thing about submitting to your local church leaders. Submitting doesn't mean... You're not allowed to have questions, okay? Submitting doesn't mean I've got to blindly go along with whatever the pastor says, with whatever the leader says, and I'm in men's ministry, and the men's director said, I got to do this, so I guess I got to do it, and I'm not allowed to have questions. No, 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 no. Submitting doesn't mean you're not allowed to have questions. You can have questions, but there is a right way to handle your questions, and there is a wrong way. There's at least a couple of wrong ways to handle your questions. Let me talk through the wrong ways, okay? Here's a wrong way to handle your questions. So you have a question about something a leader has done. Maybe it's a pastor, a director of ministry, a chair of one of our boards. And uh, you're thinking about this question, and a person will take this question, and instead of asking the leader, what they'll do is, all on their own, they'll just invent an answer. You know, I'm not going to ask this question I'm just going to invent what I think the answer is, right? Are you familiar with this phenomenon? Isn't this wild? Isn't this wild? I'm just going to invent the answer. And then get a load of this. Sometimes, after a person invents their own answer, they go around and start spreading it to other members of the church. Can you believe that? Are you familiar with this phenomenon? Yeah, it's called spreading rumors. It's called spreading rumors. Christians in the room, do a deep dive. Take a look in your Bible, what God has to say about spreading rumors. All right, quick audience participation. Whether you're a Christian or not, member of this church or not, um, 
Please stand up if you think spreading rumors is a good idea. Okay, okay, we're all in agreement. We all acknowledge this is a bad idea. But that's what spreading rumors is. You know, the life of church and the context of church, and you wonder, you have this question about what a leader is doing. Why did this leader make this choice instead of that choice? And by the way, this isn't strictly a church issue. This is true in the workplace and in school and maybe in your home and in community as well. If you have a question about what your leader, your boss, your employer, your supervisor, your manager, whoever it is, you have a question about what your leader has done, some people don't even ask. They just invent their own answer and then begin spreading it. Boy, oh boy. I wish I could say that's never happened here. But I can't. So that's one way to handle your questions, and that's a wrong way. Another thing that people do is they'll take their questions, and instead of approaching the leader with the questions, what they'll do is they'll have a little group think tank. Let me gather together some other members of the church, and we'll just ask this question. We'll, we'll invent an answer together, right? And then we start spreading the answer out to the congregation. Equally destructive. Equally wrong. All right? Now, the obvious way to handle your questions to go and ask the leader, right? You don't even need to write that down. That's so obvious. That's clear. That's what you should do. And yes, in the local church, but also in your workplace or whatever, if you've got an issue, if you've got a question, then go and ask your leader and leaders of the church. If someone comes to you with a question, hey, why did you make this choice instead of that choice? Why did you start this program and then that one? If someone comes to you with a question, it's our job as the leaders to give them an answer. Let me tell you what, my friends, I love questions. I absolutely love questions, even if they're tough questions, because you know what that means? It means you're not creating your own answer, and you're not spreading rumors. Just ask, just ask the leader. Let me give you a simple example of the kind of thing I'm talking about. Over the years, um, some of you have asked me the same question. I've heard it a few times so far, and the question is, why don't you, Pastor Josh, why don't you have us do communion more often? Why don't we celebrate communion more often? You know what communion is? Uh, Eucharist, Lord's Supper, communion, spread the juice. You know it. Okay. And so that's a wonderful question, and it has an answer, because some people are coming to our church with no church background. Some people are coming to our church, and they used to celebrate it every week in their worship services. Some people used to celebrate once a month in their worship services. And so people wonder, why don't we do it more often here? And my answer to that question is, that's a great question. And the reason we don't do it more often is because every time we do it, I want to make sure we know what we're doing. I'm not opposed to rituals, but I am very much opposed to empty rituals. And so, whenever we do communion, we use that whole message time to talk through the background, what this is about, and what it means, and why it is important for us. And that's my answer. And so far, 100% of the time, people have walked away satisfied with that answer. Now imagine, imagine the opposite scenario. Imagine if a person was wondering, hey, why doesn't the pastor lead us in communion more often? And instead of asking me, they invent their own answer. Oh, I know why it is. It's because this pastor doesn't follow the commands of Jesus. It's because this pastor is unbiblical. And then choo, 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 spreads that out. How destructive is that? Right? And so keep this in mind. Submitting to your church leaders doesn't mean you're not allowed to ask questions. It's just how you handle those questions. In fact, Go ahead and ask. Ask the leader. If we, oh, friends, if we made that one adjustment, do you know how much closer we would get to being the ideal? Just ask the questions directly of 
your leader. And leaders, as I said, don't you forget, it's our job to answer those questions as they're brought, as they're brought to us. Ask the leader. So keep that in mind. Submitting to authority doesn't mean you're not allowed to have questions. Okay, just keep that in mind going forward. If you have questions, ask, ask the leader. There is something I do feel the need to clarify about this whole leadership dynamic and the sense of submitting and what it means. Does that mean I'm obligated in some way and how does all this work? Um, just take a step back and, and consider this. None of you are obligated to be members of any local church. That's never an obligation, correct? And so those of you who are members of Hope, you were not obligated to become a member of Hope Community Church, right? It's not like 10 years ago I went around as the pastor and I knocked on your door and said, guess what, I'm your pastor now, you're members of this church, so you've got to submit to me. That's not, that's not how it worked. You are not obligated to be a member of this church. But once you become a member of this church, and if you're going to follow what Scripture says, then you do submit yourself to the authority of the leaders. Is that fair? Does that make sense? And by the way, if you're currently a member of Hope Community Church, you view yourself as a member, and you realize you can't submit to the authority of this leadership, that is like the best reason to leave a local church. Well, I'm here, and I can't submit to the leadership. Well, then, then go somewhere else, right? <laughs> no hard feelings. We'll get it, right? I mean, we're in the church district right now. You put a blindfold on and walk out that front door, you're going to land at another church, right? I wouldn't recommend it, but you would, Right? And so there are lots of reasons why people leave a church. Some of those reasons are kind of bogus. Some of those reasons are valid. But that's like the best reason to leave a church. Of course, I'd encourage you to first talk to the leaders of the church. But that's, that's how it works. So just, again, to clarify, you're not obligated. None of you as believers, you're not obligated to be a member of any local church. But I am obligated. Right? When someone connects with hope, they start showing up. They decide, you know what, I want to be a member here. I am am obligated on my end to be that person's pastor, regardless of how they live out their faith, regardless if they're new in the faith or very advanced. I don't get to choose. I don't have the choice that you have. I have to pastor everybody who views themselves as a member of hope. You get that person who walks in, and it's that Christian who thinks they know more about the Bible than they actually do, right? And they're filled with that self-righteousness, and they're filled with that judgmentalness, and they want to be a member of this church, okay, I'm your pastor. And it's my job to guide and correct that. Yes? Someone walks in and they're brand new. They don't know anything about Jesus, anything about church life. Okay, it's my job to guide and correct that. All right? Does this point make sense? Just like where the obligation works. You're not obligated to be a member here, but I, I am obligated to be, to be your pastor. Let's continue on. Hebrews 13, 17, have confidence in your leaders, submit to their authority, because, oh, that's great, tell us why, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Let's talk about this whole account thing, okay? Years ago, I made peace with the fact that I cannot control the decisions that you make. I am not responsible for the decisions that the members of this church make. I'm just not, I can't do that. It's my responsibility to guide and correct, to oversee, guide, and correct. Oversee, guide, and correct as I am able, all right? I'm not responsible for the decisions that you make. One day, as the pastor of this church, I'm going to have to stand before God, probably grovel before God, as I give an account to how I led this one congregation, 
And I'm not going to be held responsible for the decisions that each of my members make, okay? That's just, that's not how that works. You're responsible for those decisions. And I clarify that because sometimes people approach me and say, hey, there's a member of your church and they're doing this thing and it's bad and it's wrong and it's hurtful and it's foolish. And I say, yeah, I know. And I've attempted to guide and correct, but I can't control that person's behavior. These are things that you intuitively know, but I feel the need to say them out loud. You understand this? Yes? I can't control somebody else's decisions. And I can't control, if you've got a member of this church that's done something wrong, that's hurt your feelings, talk to that person. But I can't, I can't control the decisions that each of you make. And even if I could, I wouldn't because that would be weird, okay? It's <laughs> not how this works. Right. Let's go back to that verse. Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden. Because God knows we've got enough burden on our shoulders serving as leaders in this church. And so the author of Hebrews is imploring, is is pleading with the Christians to say, you don't need to add, you don't need to pile on to that burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And so essentially, if you look at this one verse, not just the beginning, not just piece it together, but if you look at this whole thing, what the writer is saying is, listen, have confidence in your leaders, that's where it begins. Then once you have that confidence, submit to their authority, and you do this for your own sake, because guess what? They're keeping a watch over you. You know, I mentioned earlier, we as human beings, we don't like having to submit to someone else's authority. We don't like being told what to do, do we? Of course not, especially not here in America. Are you kidding me? Independence, freedom, yeah. Don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me what to do. But at the same time, at the same time, isn't it helpful to have someone watch over you? All right, Christians, let me talk to the Christians. Isn't it helpful to have a guide in your faith? And as much as we might resist being told how to live our lives, don't we also appreciate the fact that there are people in your church who have taken on the burden of leadership for your sake that we can help you and guide you in your faith journey? Listen, there are people, there are people in our church, myself included, that have gone through significant training and have invested countless hours and in some cases, many thousands of dollars so that we can become better equipped to help you, right? So let's do what Scripture commands. Keeping in mind that no one's obligated to be a member of any local church, let's have confidence in our leaders. If they've earned our trust, if they've earned our confidence, let's maintain that confidence. Let's have confidence in our leaders. Let's choose to willingly Submit to our leaders because they are keeping watch over us. Let's choose to submit to the authority of our local church leaders for our own sake. And let's not spread rumors. And furthermore, why don't we keep our leaders in prayer? Look at how verse 18 of chapter 13 of Hebrews begins. What does the author say? Let's pray for us. This is a leader in the church asking the people of the church, would you pray for us, all of us who are leaders in this church? And I'm asking you today as the leader of this church to please pray for us. Pray for your leaders. The reason why you have that insert in your bulletin with all the leaders' names listed is I'm asking you, I'm asking you, church, to please pray for us. It's a heavy burden to carry. So we need your prayers. 
and I need your prayers. And again, if we made that one adjustment, we were praying for each other. We would become that much closer to the ideal. We might not ever become perfect, depending on how you define perfect, but we will get closer to that ideal if we obey the command of Scripture. We'll become closer to the ideal when we submit to our leaders, ask questions directly to our leaders, and pray for our leaders. I close this message time by praying for you all. Father God, I pray that you would please forgive us when we stumble, forgive us when we fail, forgive us when we slip outside of your boundaries, forgive us when we sin. And Father, we thank you for drawing us back to you. Lord, you know our weaknesses and you know our strengths. And Lord, you know that uh, those of us who serve in leadership, we can't do this regardless of, of how much training we've received, regardless of how many books we've read, we just cannot lead the people of this year church without your Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill us now. Holy Spirit, I would ask you to carry that burden of leadership for us. I pray for the leaders of the church, those who are willing to say yes to this burden. I pray that you would guide them, lead them, sustain them. I pray for all the members of this church that we would all keep in mind that we are on the same side and working for one another and looking out for one another. I pray for all those who are visiting with us today, that they will walk out of this space having received something from you. But Father God, I pray that we would live into this ideal. Our goal, God, and Father, I believe this aligns with your will, our goal is to be the ideal, to be a force for good in this community share your gospel with our neighbors. Share your love, your hope, and your message of salvation with those who are near us. And so, Father God, allow us to live into the vision you have created for us. Allow us to live into this mission and allow us to love one another. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.